Hello, everyone. Today is October 27th, 2021. I'm here with Alexander Boone. Alex is an entrepreneur. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Alex. Thanks, Karish. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about, you know, my experience and, uh, and how I can potentially, you know, help others kind of learn, learn their own path towards entrepreneurship. Yes, it's not a simple path. And you've had some pretty rich experiences, it seems, over the last six years. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of evolved around my background. Um, so just as a brief background, I studied bioengineering at UC San Diego. The reason why I studied bioengineering was my parents, I have a family that's been in the healthcare industry. My dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse, my sister's a dietitian. So bioengineering was kind of that the interesting opportunity to, you know, create an experience where I could potentially create something that could impact more people than just as a single service provider. Um, but, you know, as, as I think a lot of people discover through their undergraduate career, um, it's not as what it seems, you know, initially. And uh, it's all about how do you take that experience and evolve it into what's meaningful and, and matters to you. Um, so at the end of my career, bioengineering, I ended up um, realizing that I wanted to do entrepreneurship and uh, ended up getting my going into the MBA program at UC San Diego, where I kind of got my career started with entrepreneurship. It was sort of a safe space, so to speak, um, to be able to develop, you know, ideas and talk with other entrepreneurs um, and use use it as actually cross class projects. And uh, I've been working, graduated in the end of 2018 and been working uh, full-time on on my company uh, since then. Nice. How was being in the MBA program a safe space to start your entre entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when you start you start your company, right, it's, it's usually around being able to do work. Uh, typically is you have to have money, whether that's your own conviction and you're willing to spend thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, you either, you know, formulate the idea and go and fundraise. Um, but not every, I, I actually helped a lot of entrepreneurs during the MBA program. Um, and I was very, very much part of the entrepreneur community. And, and I just enjoyed sort of looking at people's problems um, and kind of being the person who takes a step back because, you know, it. When, sometimes when you're doing your own company, you are so pigeonholed into what your day-to-day -day problems are that you so sometimes don't get, you know, uh, unbiased um, perspective for, for your own company. And so I, I love stepping in there for other entrepreneurs. So I think that that is a really interesting, um, you know, reason why it's safe space is because you have people who can support you without having to be very money driven, right? If you have a couple of thousand dollars, you're thinking, how do I spend a thousand dollars to prove or to de-risk something in my business that can help me go and raise the capital that I need? Um, and so in, in that regard, you don't really have to, you know, for the years that you're in your MBA program, you don't have to worry about spending money or cash burn and, and, and reaching certain milestones that investors are, are looking for. Um, you're able to sort of craft what you really want the vision of the company to be and to be, quote unquote, scrappy um, in order to get there. So that's what, why it's a great safe space. What do you mean by scrappy? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people, so one of the, one of the 
frameworks that I taught a lot of entrepreneurs is um, de-risking de the business for yourself. So I think when when you when when I, I've seen a lot when you start a company and you have an idea and you maybe you're starting idea with someone else, right? You're in a room, you're talking about brainstorming idea and saying we should do that, and um, you get really excited and obviously passionate. And I think that's just a very human nature yes. sort of approach, which is really exciting. But I think a lot of um, people think their ideas are, are they don't challenge their own ideas. And uh, they almost put the, the burden of getting challenged your ideas on other people, meaning outside investors or potential advisors or, you know, an incubator, right? Like, hey, I'm going to submit my idea to you and I'm going to tell you it's the best idea. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. Here's why. And I usually take, have people take a step back and say, imagine you were not convinced that this is the right thing. What, what's the reason why you're not convinced this might be the right thing, the right approach, the right strategy, the right product, the right, you know, opportunity for yourself, especially if you're trying to maximize experience, uh, financial success, like why, if you questioned and said, what if it wasn't the right thing? Like, what were the reasons? And so you lay that out and then you realize I need to de-risk those things for myself before I de-risk it to an external party, to someone else, an investor, an incubator, et cetera. Um, and so it's sort of taking that challenge mentality towards yourself. Uh, and what you'll find when you do that is that things that required getting de-risked don't require a lot of money. So if I were to go to an investor and I were to not take the mentality of, I need to de-risk it for myself, I'm going to go and articulate that this is the best idea. Here's why. Investors are going to come back and say, if, if you're lucky, they're going to say, here's why, you know, I'm not going to move forward in investment and it's X, Y, and Z. And a lot of those things are very milestone driven, of course, but if you actually break it down, they require a lot of money to get there, a lot of money and time. And so it's just sort of a mentality of like you, when you talk to external parties, you're always saying, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to get to their milestones, right? Which requires this extra money, requires this extra time because it's going to de-risk it enough for them, for them, for me to get the investment. And, and so all of a sudden, it, it feels like a $50,000 project. It feels like I need to have $50,000 to get to a revenue milestone or a proof of concept or anything like that. Versus if you were to take the framework of, I got to de-risk for myself, I don't fully believe in it. And if I can de-risk it for myself, then I'm going to have more passion. I'm going to be more confident when I go do talk to investors, when you lay it out, the milestones and the things that you need to do are very different. They're very cheap. It might just be, I need to go and research 10 people that are experts, financial experts in this space so I can understand exactly how this business model works. Because I'm not sure this business model is going to work. And that doesn't require any money. It requires a weekend to research people in your space, which is great for later. You cold outreach. I've done that a ton. Um, you'd be surprised with the results, uh, you know, as far as if you tailor it specifically to that person, because uh, it's not a, I got to get them as a lead. It's just, you know, I just want to talk to you. So how do I maximize that? What's your, uh, cold, then, out, what's your cold outreach approach? Oh yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit uh, in, in detail, but 
but yeah, so if you do that, it takes a weekend of create, find the 15 people you need to talk to, to de-risk a certain aspect of your business. Um, and they give you so much value and data uh, that all of a sudden now you're more confident in your business model. You're more confident in your product approach. You're more confident in et cetera. But the, the framework is not you did it because it that data point is going to be valuable for an incubator, accelerator, an investor. It's it's valuable to me. And that doesn't require a lot of money. So I think that I view Scrappy very differently. I think that the entrepreneur world has talked about Scrappy being like the, you know, I scraped this or I, you know, went to restaurants and I did X, Y, and Z. And then, and, and those, usually people talk about the scrappy things that work, <laughs> not usually the scrappy things that don't work. And the, I like to, I think of it very differently. I think that most people be scrappy so that they can please someone else. I think you need to be scrappy to plead, to, to make yourself more confident uh, and de-risk it for yourself. Because the worst thing an entrepreneur can do is just uh, be blind to the idea that, they are going to succeed because they're just really good at pleasing other people. When in reality, like you still need to be a little bit selfish in, in your uh, approach by, you know, saying I need to please myself. Cause if I can do that, I'll be able to please other people. Wow. <laughs> how, how, how do you think an entrepreneur can best de-risk himself or, you know, please himself making sure that, his, you know, he feels comfortable with the work he's going forward with. Yeah. Um, great, great question. I think, I think it matters. I think it really depends on the situation and what you're trying to de-risk. But I think um, I take an engineering mindset. I've always, I, the reason why I got my MBA specifically wasn't because I didn't know anything about business. The reality was, was I actually researched on my own a lot about business before I got into the MBA program. Uh, but I went into the MBA program because I didn't want to be necessarily labeled as just, you know, an engineer, especially yes. someone like a bioengineer. Um, and, you know, there was a difference between when I went to entrepreneur events and I was like, hey, I'm a bioengineer and what people thought about that, meaning like, you know, technical competence and what type of projects you're working on versus when I got in the MBA program a month later, you know, or two months later, same events telling people that I'm a bioengineer and I'm in the MBA program, it's a different, oh, now you know how to learn, you know, you need to talk business, right? Versus, you know, what sort of technical things have you done? Um, so it gave me that, that ability to, you know, again, sort of properly craft um, my message for, for myself and what I want to do. Um, but I think that I didn't have enough data and, and like I said, I'm an engineer, so I still have some level of engineering bias towards like get more data. But my get more data is usually not quantitative or uh, quantitative. It's usually qualitative and qualitative meaning research, right? Qualitative meaning, um, you know, going out and going to an, going to an event, right? And, and meeting people and, you know, coming out with the goal of I'm going to learn from this event, not I'm going to please someone else. I'm going to make someone really excited about my idea. I'm going to pitch it in a certain way that, you know, uses it a date as a data point, a qualitative data point that says, maybe people aren't understanding what I'm really trying to do. Maybe when I first introduced this, I don't need to talk about the grand vision. I need to talk about a specific initial approach to it and, and what sort of resonates. So in that sense, data, but I think looking at it as you have qualitative and you have quantitative data, and realizing how do you 
you know, go out there get that data for yourself um, in order to like sort of integrate it into something that's going to resonate with other people, right? When you have qualitative and quantitative that kind of integrates and comes together, it's, it's usually reason, reason why people resonate with a company, an idea, an individual. Um, so yeah, so I think uh, that's, that's my, my approach to everything is how to take a unique data approach. <laughs> Qualitative analysis is not easy. It's not. <laughs> Quantitative is pretty simple. I, you know, you know, it's the numbers, we're engineers, it's like X, Y, Z, but qualitative, you know, it takes so much nuance, it takes a lot of research, you really have to, I mean, I'm not very confident in my qualitative analysis as much as my quantitative. So what have you done in order to improve your qualitative skills, your soft skills? Yeah. Um, so let's go back maybe to like the cold outreach and how I actually got there. It's not, you don't approach it and say, I'm just going to cold outreach. You approach it with what's going to, um, what can I do that's going to make it, make it say, yes, I need a cold outreach, uh, someone. And so research. So most people don't, unless you are working in an industry for 20, 25 years, most people don't actually know the key players, the key personnel, um, the key strategies. And so you can do research on each of those. So let's talk about personnel, right? Uh, the first thing I realized when I built my, when I started building my business, which is in the hydration beverage consumption space, was that within the little sphere of my network, which was the MBA, which was UCSD, and maybe some of the greater San Diego, I never really met someone who was actually on the cutting edge of, of this space. And uh, whether it's manufacturing, right? That was a big, big risk for me. Again, I could say it for uh, other investors, but for me, I said, I don't have that manufacturing expertise. Um, another was, you know, branding and marketing, right? And, and realizing that, you know, some of the, some crappy product can actually do a really good job branding and marketing and, you know, have better financial success than a good product without the right marketing. Right. So again, that was a risk to me was saying, I don't want to, uh, you know, set myself back because I wasn't willing to do the research to de-risk it. So uh, what I did was I built like a map, a network map of all of the strategic companies. So that's like, you know, Keurig, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Starbucks. Right. Like and then, you know, those are the big ones and then the smaller ones as well. Uh, and what you when you start doing that research, you actually start to realize that. You look at a transaction like Starbucks acquires X company or Coca-Cola acquires Y company. Um, and then you look at the article and you realize that there's a person that's quoted in there and they were the CMO. They were the CFO of Pepsi. Right. And you go to look that person up. You're like, that person should be a key personnel. I should just know exists. Like, what is their background? You know, where are they at now? And when you look at it, for a 2014 transaction, uh, you realize that person's no longer at Pepsi. <laughs> They're a consultant now. They're at this new startup company, whatever. And you go, how do I get to this person, right? Because if I can talk to them and get an insight, now that they're no longer at Pepsi, it's no longer a, oh, I'm talking to this large corporation. It's more, 
hey, I'm this young, scrappy entrepreneur, which I used a lot. Um, and, uh, and so you realize, okay, if, do I have a secondary connection? Honestly, when I first started this, no, the answer is no. I didn't have a second connection on LinkedIn. Um, and then I made the list and I actually just sat on it for like months. But now I felt much more educated about like who the key personnel was and who I might want to reach out to. And then I got to a point where uh, I kind of, now my brain is thinking, what is that person going to resonate with? Like why, why if I outreach to them cold, you know, what are they going to resonate with? And I didn't try to type up an email that's like a B2B lead, you know, oh, this is the reason why. I just like thought of it as a human level. I said, what are they experiencing now? Like, what did their life look like? And that unconsciously, I was kind of thinking about that for weeks or months. And then finally, I said, oh my, I had a, a moment where I'm like, oh, that's what is going to resonate with them. So I type in the email there, send it off and I'd get a response. And that's because... I took a more human approach to the cold outreach, recognizing like what would what they would resonate with, or my best guess, and uh, gave my best chance to now meet this key person. So I did this probably. So I did this whole research. I built the map. I understood all the personnel, the people in the space that would be interesting. I outreached to, you know, a couple of them every once in a while when it mattered, and uh, I ended up recruiting a team and advisors. And I've ended up bringing on the co the former VP of engineering of Keurig wow. um, to my, to my team. I ended up bringing on the founder of Hydroflask to be, you know, to want to participate in our company. Um, I ended up bringing on the founder, founder of Keurig, right. As well. Um, I ended up bringing on a couple of advisors who, you know, have worked for the large strategics. So uh, again, figured out, okay, what are the things I needed to risk for myself? What are the scrappy, low cost things I can do in order to de-risk it for myself, which was research, which was outreach. Um, and now I'm in a better footing because I just basically added 80 years of experience, right? And I've only had a couple of years of experience. Yes. Um, and so that's you know an example of how people understanding that data point, understanding you know, what's happening in the, there's quantitative, which might be the transaction value of some company getting bought, right? But there's also the qualitative, which is now that person's life has changed, what's the next interesting thing they want to work on, right? Like, would they be an interested investor? Would they be an interesting advisor, right? And uh, and now I've got this, this great team of people around me and, you know, I was fresh out of my MBA degree. That's very exciting. Well what is it like to have a team of advisors? Um, so I've, I've now recently in the last like year realized the, uh, the two types of advisors. So there's one type, which is very industry specific. So I would call them subject matter experts. That's the way a lot of you know companies put it. Um, so we've got an amazing uh, advisors who's uh, was part of an agency that had huge successes uh, from a lot of the direct to consumer brands. And so I cold outreach to them and, uh, brought them on got them excited about the opportunity. Um, so that's great. And that's subject matter experts. And then there's the personal mentor advisors. Um, and obviously in the last, you know, year and a half, uh, for, for COVID there's, there's reasons for 
shifting towards like more of the personal mentor advisor role because there's so much uncertainty uh, that sometimes just talking to someone about it can be really valuable. Like it's almost like they just need to be a sounding board that kind of lets you hear yourself, <laughs> so to speak, not your thoughts, but you know, being able to actually speak about it uh, and to be honest that like you are uncertain about certain things. So I value both of them sort of equally, uh, especially in this, you know, COVID and post COVID world, make sure you have advisors who are personal sort of mentors, people who are willing to hear, you know, all of your problems um, that you have on a personal level, as well as on a business level, those people are usually invested in the person, you know, meaning they want to, the reason why they sign on to be an advisor is because they want to help the individual, not necessarily care about whether the business succeeds or not. Um, so I think, uh, that's the way I, I've, I've looked at the two different types of advisors. Wow. That seems very valuable. I personally have never had an advisor in that sense. And just, you know, over the last five years, especially, I mean, that's awesome that you went out and contacted these people and got their experience and their ideas and, you know, their ears to help you bounce your problems, your ideas off of, because I'm sure, you know, like you've said, you filtered out a lot of bad ideas and kept the really solid ones, the ones yep. that they seem to you know, resonate with and that you feel comfortable with as well. And, you know, after that de-risking process. Yeah, let me, let me um, sort of show how maybe this can also be useful for non-entrepreneurs as well, especially entrepreneurs that are listening. People are very career driven who, you know, have a goal that they want to, they're maybe an engineer, and then they want to become a project manager and maybe a product manager. Um, that's sort of the route that my brother um, has taken. Uh most people don't do even the research for who has had sort of a similar experience. And LinkedIn is one of the most powerful tools that you can have. So here's the exercise. It's really simple. Go on, do take a weekend. Just say, I'm just going to be at my computer. You know, I can do some things like that I need to do the personal tasks, but I'm just going to take the weekend not the night because then you're, you're too stressed, right? It becomes this thing like, oh, I need to accomplish this by the end of the night, right? Outside of my work hours. Just do it all on weekend. I always tell people this. And, you know, enjoy your cup of coffee. Like make it very, very relaxing. And just either if you have a piece of paper or if you want to do it digitally, just write out companies that you respect and that you think that has really interesting like roles. So let's just say you're an engineer and you want to become a product manager. You know, you can list off startup companies. You can list off large companies. That, again, you just assume like, okay, those are kind of companies where I feel like the product managers get a lot of valuable experience. They get a lot of valuable connections. Like just, just, just write it down and then go research those companies. And, uh, you know, you can go on LinkedIn and you can click on the company and see, oh, wow, there's people that work for my school, right? Which is a great immediate connection. Maybe you don't know those people, but you could also select like first and second degree, first, second or third degree. So I, I usually let, you know, do the second degree because it's like, do I know anyone who knows someone there? Um, I, I could bet you right now, Karush, like if you were to go and do this exercise, you would 
especially with your podcast and the people that you know, like you'll realize that there's three or four companies on that 20 company list where you looked at and you saw, wow, this person is a VP level right now. And when I look back at their history individually, they were a product manager. And when I looked back at that, they are actually a completely different degree, right? Uh -huh. And you're like, whoa, this person's really interesting. Like they had a whole shift. A lot of people feel that way. They get a degree, they want to shift into something that's different. They don't want to do the typical path. But you don't know that there's that person exists out there unless you do that research. And honestly, that person, when you see something like that, when I, when I see that LinkedIn sort of quote unquote story, um, I, I see their story, you know, I see it as this person had some wasted time, had some realization moments, new perspective. And the human nature is we don't like wasted value. We don't like wasted time. Time is the, the equalizer that we all have, regardless of money and wealth or everything. And when you waste that time, but you've learned from it, you want to get that time back by giving value to other people. <laughs> and so when you see someone who was a political science major who actually ended up going into coding and tech and became a product manager and then started their own company, right? Or whatever it is, like you're much more likely to be like, how, what story can I tell that's going to resonate with their story? And, and if you don't do that research, you won't know that person exists. So you can find mentors without having to have a company. You can find mentors, people who have really interesting stories. People want to help you, you know, like not make the same mistakes they made, um, which can accelerate your career tremendously because they might have, a, they likely, especially if they're older, let's say 10 to 20 years older than you or, or older, um, they likely have colleagues who they want to continue to add value to that may be looking for a product manager role and maybe willing to make an introduction to the VP, the person who's like the highest level said, we need a product manager um, versus having to go through an application candidate portal. So I, I think that when I look at it, the reason why this is a valuable trait for entrepreneurs and for non-entrepreneurs is because it shows that you're willing to de-risk, you know, a certain element of your life uh, by learning from other people, by having empathy and by saying that you don't know everything, you don't, even though you might have a really good idea, like there's someone out there that has valuable information that could only be five minute call uh, away. Uh, and if you're not willing to put in that work, you know, then, then you're not sort of, you're not really advancing your you know, career as an entrepreneur or not. And, and so it's a very simple exercise. And that's why I say do it on a weekend because let's just say you research and you find 50 people and you don't want to outreach to them. Right. And, and maybe you're not at that point yet where you've crafted your own, like my story, right? Like why I'm doing the things I'm doing, why I think the way I think. Um, and you just, you don't feel, you still feel accomplished on that weekend because you didn't have some deadline that you need to outreach to 10 people, it, but it was so informative. You got kind of inspired on that weekend. And then maybe a month or two months later, you know, you do reach out on a Monday and send a LinkedIn message or find their email or reach out to that mutual connection and say, Hey, how connected are you? Do you know this person really well? Like it, it, it becomes this like non uh, stress task because you know, you're doing it extra for yourself versus a job, which quite frankly, when you work to eight to 10 hours, like 
I don't know. I, I get burnt out. I see a lot of people who get burnt out. I don't want to do something that's a task in my mind. So that's why I usually do the weekends where I can do non-tasks. Absolutely. It's like, it's, you want it, you know, like you said, have your cup of coffee, keep it relaxed. You want to enjoy yourself through this process because it, you know, we, I don't want to think of things as a task. I don't want to, you know, be burdened by this work. I want this work to flow easily. I want to enjoy it. I want it to be a rich part of my life. And we can just, you know, destroy ourselves by going, you know, all night and, Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's necessary, but for something like this, especially for, you know, someone who's not used to going out and reaching with people, I agree with you. Like, you know, put that time in on the weekends. Like you want to go out, you want to drink heavily and then maybe be hungover on Saturday and Sunday, or you want to just be out with friends on the beach all day. You know, sometimes to be an entrepreneur, to, to be a project manager of an elite company for an elite project. You're going to have to put in those Saturday and Sunday some solid hours into that for yourself and for, you know, your network, which it, you know, those hours, you know, go outwards, you know, expand yeah. outwards to the people that you connect with. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that, you know, it's, uh, and this took me a long time to learn, by the way, you know, I yes, have I've had many weekends where it's just like, I want to do things, but I set it up in my mind on a Friday that it's a task. And then, I want to go out and then I have to mend my hangover uh, Saturday morning. And then I need to do some personal tasks, you know, and then, you know, going out again and I'm like, okay, now it's, you know, 6 PM and Oh shoot. I don't have enough time. Okay. I'm going to push it on to Sunday. Right. So what I do is I just give myself the gift of the Friday night going to bed early, waking up Saturday morning, feeling refreshed whenever I don't set an alarm. Right. Like most people probably don't do a ritual, you know, morning beverage, water, coffee, right? Maybe I turn on the TV, right? Like it's much more relaxing, but it's like for yourself. And then honestly, like you'd be surprised. I think that we get, we get sort of for most work, right? It's like we work on an hourly basis or a salary that looks like an hourly. So we start to attribute like, I know what $30 an hour looks like. I know what $50 an hour look like. And I know that it like, takes eight hours in order to get to this end work product. And that's the way we actually view ourselves is like on that, that we restrict ourselves to that hourly rate that we're getting paid. When in reality, if you woke up and did this and it's on a Saturday and you did research for two to three hours, right? You'd be like, Oh, well that's $150 of value. I can guarantee it's more like $10,000 of value. You know, it, it, that's, that's the way you should be looking at it is you're like, I'm literally getting paid at a $3,000 an hour rate <laughs> right now. Cause what I just did is I gave myself that value and maybe I get a new job where I get a bonus. It's, it's a real thing at $10,000 in value for an entrepreneur. The perspective I like to give is let's say your company's worth $2 million, right? You start the company, you do a couple of things, you fundraise for $2 million. And then you have about nine to 12 months of work. Um, to get to the new next valuation, which you're hoping is in the four to 6 million. Okay. And you own 50% of the company again, just simple numbers. So if it goes to 4 million, you just doubled in 12 months and you own 50%. So you just added a million dollars in value yourself. So if you take the amount of hours that you work and you divide it by that 12 months, uh, let's, let's just do the math real quick. So 1 million 
uh, I should have had this on the top of my head, but uh, divided by 56 weeks. Um, 52. 52, thank you. 52. Uh, and then, uh, so now we've got $19,000 a month. You just added $19,000. You know, it's again, it's not tangible. It's not cash. A week, right? But $19,000. Thank you. Yes. $19,000 a week. Thank you. Right. And it's like, and, and, and that's the crazy part is a lot of these entrepreneurs don't realize it. Like, fuck, I've got to figure out how to add $19,000 of value. Now it's not $9,000 of revenue. Maybe our, my, my industry, it's one to 10. Meaning if I get a dollar, it's worth $10 to value. So maybe I go out and I try to, you know, for $20,000 a week, you know, I try to add $2,000 in revenue a week. And if I yes. did that for 12 months, then it's like, of course, like you do that simple math and that investor will definitely give you that $4 million valuation. So again, it's like, I think that they get, people get stuck up on like, well, maybe I'm making $3,000 in my company, or maybe I'm not even making any money because I only raise a small amount that I use to do this. But if you look at the grand picture, like you just put yourself in a situation where you're adding non-linear value to yourself, whether it's a career move where you spend three hours on a weekend, like research people to outreach. And then, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you just met someone who eventually two years later gave you a job at a product manager role, like shoe holds you in, you made $20,000 in bonus, right? Like it's that angle or it's, I've just added significant value to my company. And more importantly, I've de-risked it for myself because you know, I want that to $4 million in real value. I want it to be like eventually get sold for 20 or eventually get sold for five, right? I think the early exits uh, could be a great move for most people. But, you know, it's like they don't they don't think it in terms of like, wow, what can I be doing for myself to feel good about the fact that I have to be adding $20,000 of value a week, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and I think that that's, uh, that's why this, this framework is like, you it's so valuable to yourself because now you want to spend that Saturday researching, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about our time like that, like really highly valuing our time can change, you know, radically the way we, way we behave. Like drinking is fun. You know, you might go out drinking for like three or four hours, but at this age, if you, you know, drink the way we did in college, you know, that's like two days lost that could be you know maybe 20 hours of you know 20 i mean not even just work but even personal in time yeah. I, I you know i value my personal time very highly as well like if you're if you're working and i'm working on the weekends and we're still you know doing things on the weekends but it's a much shorter yeah amount so that's that's valuable time in order to reset our mind our body to get back into it the next day or you know whenever and work at a high value rate and if we think about that if we think about oh i'm if i go out i'm gonna lose you know 20 hours and i'm thinking of myself like in three hours like a thousand dollars or three thousand dollars an hour that's a lot of money lost and I think that's how entrepreneurs have to consider, you know, their yeah. time at this point. At, you know, even younger, I wish I did this, but now yeah. for sure. No, and I, I, and again, it took me a while to do this, which is why I love being able to, again, shortcut people's paths to a, a better perspective. 
Um, you know, speaking of perspectives, right. One, I, I read a lot of books. I'm very much in like the daily health space or like what I like to call daily health, which is that, you know, I'm, I want to impact, you know, health, but not through healthcare. I want to impact through health and wellness. And I realized even from bioengineering that it's, there's, there's actually better ways to improve the masses through health, through just better daily health routines, whether that's better hydration, which is obviously something I'm focused on or better food, right? Like the whole food is medicine type of paradigm. Um, and so one of the ones that I got really into is actually meditation. And I've never been a good meditator. Uh, and I don't download, you know, Calm or Headspace. And I think that those are really valuable for, you know, uh, people who are just getting into it. But the one that I've started to resonate with and I've started to practice that's helped with this is actually um, meditation by a guy named Vishen. Um, and I'm forgetting his last name, but he's part of Mind Valley, uh, mindvalley.com. And he wrote a book that is called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Um, and I highly recommend it for anyone who sort of wants to like take, you know, recognize the issues that society has created for us whether that's like, you know, the bullshit rules or the perspectives that just have been ingrained in us unconsciously, or who also want to maybe use meditation to sort of up level themselves, right? Their, their, their own health. I, I care more about health, you know, health span than lifespan, meaning I care about my, yes. my daily health than how long I live. Um, and so the way he, the way he uh, does meditation, it's called, it's like 15 minutes, 15, to 20 minutes, depending on how long, long you want to do it. But it's, it's modern, me modern meditation, meaning if you meditate as a monk, you know, it's very, very different, right? It's rooted in different ancient traditions. There's a whole, you know, you're trying to create um, transcendence, right, etc. And that's really powerful stuff. But in reality, we can use meditation for just better day-to-day -day living. And, and so he calls it the six phase meditation and I'll quickly go through it. And I think I don't want to butcher it, but it's uh, start with compassion to so whether that's, there's something you feel good about other people, which is kind of the past and how you accept, you know, make that energy go to, you know, the world or the universe, right? Like, and then it goes to gratitude, which, you know, people who do daily gratitude is great for uh, journaling and then it goes to forgiveness and forgiveness is an interesting one because it's one of the most like powerful things you can do. Uh, and forgiveness is not, you know, I'm, I forgive. It, it could be anything. Forgiveness could be forgiving yourself. Right. So like when you talk about, I wish I did this younger, like just if you did this meditation, you might be like, I forgive myself. I, I forgive my past self that I didn't give that energy to, you know, to do this. But the next one is, you know, a vision of uh, uh, vi your vision. So it goes into present. So that was past the three. And then it goes into the present, which is your perfect vision for the future. So what do you want to, What do you want to look like? So if you took this little perspective and you said, great, I built this research list. I spent a couple of weekends, a couple of hours feeling de-stressed, feeling good about myself. Eventually, that might lead to a product manager role. So that's the, vi the vision. Then the second one in the present is... Uh, your perfect day. So it kind of goes through and says like, you know, we know and if we wake up what our day is going to look like. So it's just sort of like making each point a little bit more joyful. Um, and that way you actually stop to stop realizing, you know, getting annoyed by those little small things in your day that do go wrong. You, you almost recognize the joy and the things that you imagined. And the last one is just blessings, whether that's a religious practice or 
it's just blessings for, you know, who you are, your mind, your, you know, the universe, right? The energy around you, the people around you, right? So it's that sort of overall blessing. And what that does is it sets, I'd highly recommend you start with just doing it a specific day. If you did it, it's unsustainable if you did, tried to do it Monday through Friday. It really is. Yes. Just start on one day that matters to you the most. And that might be that Saturday where you're like, cool, I'm going to get to that time. And uh, you'll feel so much better and you'll feel de-stressed and, and, and more relaxed. And I'd say it's one of the best, you know, ways to like take an out of control life, whether that's in health or just even anything in your life and sort of, you know, bring it back to a place where you're actually able to grow you know, from it. And, and, you know, if you believe in manifesting, which I do, like, you'll start to realize that you're manifesting things more, right? You're starting to realize you have, you sort of, I like to call it engineered serendipity. So you've just put yourself in the position where you feel more lucky that th something is happening. So that's the serendipitous moment. So um, that's the manifesting. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's now all of a sudden it's like you feel like you've manifested this, but really it's engineered serendipity. Um, that's wow. I'm an engineer. So, you know, I like to. Yes. <laughs> I always like to bring in engineering when I can. Absolutely. That's incredible. That's an awesome practice that you started. It sounds really nice. And, you know, those first three, the past, they seem very out like from the outside like compassion gratitude forgiveness it's like those seem like you know kind of woo woo right woo -woo. It's like, yeah it's like oh that's the person who just like needs to take their life down but it's actually it changes your brain right like yes. I'm, I'm i'm a bioengineer like your monks when they do do those things right it actually lowers their brainwave state so you have like to get a little technical which i always love to do i love yes. to geek out uh you you when you're awake you're in you're in beta and usually high beta and beta is like 12 hertz to like 40 hertz when you get in different flow states it's actually that you're when you feel good and you're like in the flow it's actually that you're in a specific hertz so you're a lot of your brain waves is actually resonating in a specific hertz but most of our day we get push notifications and we get this and then you get that and we get this and so you're what happened is you're your beta brainwaves throughout the day is like just fluctuating like crazy, right? There's no consistency. And when you do a meditative state, when you do compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness specifically, it actually basically lowers your, your beta state, right? Which why when you close your eyes immediately, you've just reduced your brain's compute power by 50% immediately. Just closing your eyes, just close your eyes for the day. Don't even meditate. Just close your eyes for five minutes, right? That will help you because it lowers it and it like allows your brain to like get that resonance uh, frequency. Uh, and when you do compassion, gratitude and forgiveness, it's actually kind of a hack for triggering certain emotional paths in your brain to sort of get that resonance frequency so that when you do the present things, which are going to be the way that your brain is now going when you're awake, when you're, when you're going about your day, it now has some consistency to it. You've kind of built a resonance pattern um, to, uh, you know, do those things, appreciate those things, get less stressed. Um, and, and so that's, so I, I like to sort of merge this idea of like, you know, transcendence sort of practices or, you know, what Eastern medicine, which a lot of it is now being proven 
to be have huge efficacy, meaning it's actually proven to, you know, in double blind clinical studies to be more powerful than an antidepressant drug, right? Like, and, and we're starting to realize that more and more and more. So I think it's like maximizing, you know, both sides of it um, so that you can leverage it yourself. Uh, because, you know, I just, I, at some point I can't work any more hours. I can't yes. you know, get burnt out consistently. And I actually used to, in college, I used to actually get to a point where I'd constantly burn out, but it was almost like predictable burnout. It was like every three weeks. And what I would do is I'd actually, um, I'd actually like take a weekend and I just like watch Netflix like all weekend. And I just feel shitty afterwards. And then that shittiness made me motivated to do it again. But then it just created that next burnout, right? Now I burn out maybe once every six months to be quite honest. And it's because I've introduced, you know, these sort of perspectives and processes that allow me to be, again, you can say more, more grateful, more gratitude, more forgiveness, but it actually is just my brain's working better and faster. Like I don't get triggered by these other emotions. I don't have to necessarily write what I'm grateful for in a daily journal. But when you hear someone who says these sort of practices, I'd say, take a step back and realize what are they doing that's sort of that I might be able to do in a new, unique way, right? Like I want to have this goal of my brain functioning better, better flow states when I'm actually working so I can get more done, less stressed, right? But, you know, if people are doing these things, like there's some value to it, but what can I do to change it to use it for myself? And that's what this guy vision did was realize that meditation of monks and others wasn't built for the modern world. So like, how can I do it for the modern world? Which is, you know, I got to do it in 15 minutes. I can't do it in two hours, like a month. Yes. So um, that's, you know, I, 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 I love helping people improve their daily health. Like that's my entire thesis. Everything, every company I start will be in that framework. And that's what drives me, right? I don't, I don't own my identity is not part of just one company. My identity is towards my my thesis, my own personal thesis. Nice, that's huge. Uh, and you know, as an entrepreneur, that's that can be tough to maintain. Yeah, because you want to be so involved, and you get so pigeonholed, like you said, and just want that company to succeed and succeed, and to make those, you know, huge revenue streams that, you know, will make you feel comfortable. But no, continue. Oh, I was going to say, and actually, so now to connect these two things we talked about, which was a perspective that sort of makes you realize like, wow, I'm adding a lot of value to myself, right? The three hours on a weekend adds value to my career. The, the th three hours on a weekend adds value to, you know, catching up for my company. But, but one of the important reasons why meditation also is valuable and the idea of gratitude and forgiveness is like, I also don't want to be stressed by the fact that I'm like, I got to add $19,000 of value every week, you know? <laughs> yes. And, and so like what it is, is like you, you start to realize like, wow, there's this powerful perspective that can help motivate me, but that's what it should be. When I think of the $19,000, you shouldn't be like, oh shit, I didn't really get that much done this week. I feel bad, right? That's where meditation and, you know, gratitude and forgiveness and compassion can help you you know, make sure that those things aren't actually an issue, right, for you. And then you can start to manifest it in, you know, better routines. And like, you'll, you'll see a change within six to nine, 12 months, 
um, just because you had a new perspective and a new process. The process is utilizing your approach to meditation or your approach to like giving, you know, self-love, which might be better food, better, better hydration, whatever it might be. And then using, you know, your perspective to help drive your career, drive your uh, business, et cetera. And those things, two things don't, they, they need to be combined together, in my opinion, or else you start to get things like burnout. You start to get people whose entire identity is associated with a company. So when it's not doing well, or if investors are telling you it's a shitty company, like what's the first emotion you're going to have? You know, it's not, it's not, you know, fear. It's not, which is anxiety, right? Like all of these negative emotions, you've just used meditation to, you know, allow yourself space to think about these things so that you don't react in that way. Um, and especially for entrepreneurs, <laughs> like, I mean, you're faced with that daily. Nice. Um, so I think that that's, it's, it's, it's sort of, I always try to approach entrepreneurship very differently. I think that when you start to do like game plans and business, you know, uh, business model canvas and all these things that a lot of these entrepreneurs will teach you, a lot of them actually end up getting outdated, to be quite honest, especially in a fast moving world. It's like the business model canvas, you know, that was the biggest thing when I was in, you know, undergraduate and business school. And now people like, you know, investors, etc. like don't really even pay attention to it. Like, yes, it helps show people that like, you're thinking about the business holistically, you know, completely. But you know, in reality, like you need a new perspective to help you operate because you're just trying to fit someone else's, you know, de-risking model, which is the 12 things on a canvas to show someone. And like, to be honest, like that never de-risked it for me. It almost made me more ego driven. It made me realize, oh my God, I know everything about the business. Like, look at, I completed this thing, right? Business model canvas. And that was not a really great place to operate from. Um, and, and so I think, I think the most important thing is understanding, you know, the goals that you have. Um, most people don't write down their goals. I, I don't like also like the 10 year, you know, the life coaching goals, because I think even if you do it in the smart, you know, way, um, the smart abbreviation uh, for it, I, I still don't think it does a, a good job because at the end of the day, like you're operating on a daily basis. You need this, whether it's meditation to help, you know, certain parts of it whether it's a new perspective on, you know, the way you like to work. Um, I think that's, that helps to manifest those goals versus being goal oriented and having to do's and then being stressed when things take longer, right? Like that's not a really great place in my opinion to be operating out of. Um, no. So. It's not a great place to be operating out of. And <clears throat> that, you know, we can get caught up in that meditation even like you said 15 to 20 minutes for the <clears throat> average person because we can't do two hours <clears throat> excuse me but even 15 to 20 minutes is tough if you're not used to it and it can seem like all right you wake up and you're going to start meditate you're just going to sit down yeah. and do nothing for 15 to 20 minutes yeah and that's tough to sometimes you're just like, I need to, I have so many things to do right now. I can't do that. But like you said, with things like burnout, you used to experience it three, you know, once every three weeks. And now it's once every six months. That's a huge time savings. 
and that if you attribute that to 15 20 minutes of meditation i mean those minutes came back in value i can't yeah. even imagine how how much more and what yeah the return on investment more. is is huge and and again so you know i I've, i'm sort of talking about the the end place people can be at the end place i'm at the way i got there the perspectives i have but i also like to say like how like I, I actually something I didn't mention before was I'm becoming a certified health coach and I know more about health than probably the average health professional to be quite honest. Um, meaning be surprised, like, you know, it's because it's like, I'm unbiased. I don't need to be going into practice every day and being doing the same thing that I was taught right in a healthcare sphere. So it allows me to kind of take an objective approach to it and say, like build my own frameworks around it. And one of the, so with health coaching, like with this certificate, I think it's a valuable, um, a valuable, you know, school or institute for people to do. Um, but for me, I didn't really learn a lot of technical things because I learned that on my own. But the one thing I did learn that's been very valuable and I'm actually implementing it in any business I do, or even just any interaction is don't immediately recommend things. And that's hard for a lot of people to like not give their opinion, especially if you know, right? Oh, I've been there. I've been there with them, some person. I'm going to give my opinion about it. Uh, most people don't have enough people to talk to, to just like listen, to almost let them show your their baseline, right? Their baseline of emotions, right? Their baseline of where they are in their health. And so when you don't recommend immediately and you don't take that mindset, you help build that baseline for someone. And then you can sort of be really, um, intelligent about the way that your opinions, now you're more informed. You can, you know, be like, okay, now that won't, that ex story that I tell a friend for something that they're going through, that's hard that I, that I had like, Oh, I feel like right when they say it, I feel like it's relevant, but you're just sort of been in that baseline. Now you can adjust that approximately. Cause you know, like that's not going to really help them. Uh, same thing with health coaching, right? Now that I understand that you know, this person does struggle with just like this constant influx, this constant stress, fear, anxiety, etc. And you're like, in your head, you're like, meditation, right? Like in the health coach mind, you're like, yeah. I know it's going to be so valuable to them. But when you scream it, yeah, you're like, you're, you're literally like, please just do meditation. But when you understand that when you get their baseline, you realize that like, that's going to be really hard for someone to implement. And so what, what do you do? You recommend this, which is anytime you know, you have something that's stressful, you know, anytime you're feeling like, you know, you're a little anxious, whatever, just close your eyes for two minutes. Don't, and don't count. Just close your eyes. And after that two minutes, you feel refreshed. And, and you almost feel like, again, when you look at like the Eastern side of things, right, you can talk about like what that, you know, why, why, what that does. Um, you know, it, it helps your, 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 um, your chi, right. It helps the energy flow, et cetera. But when you look at even on a scientific side, on a Western medicine side, brainwaves are literally changing. You're having like, you know, six different brainwaves that are going different parts of your brain. You close your eyes, right? Because a lot of our, our brainwaves is dictated by our sight. It's like 50% of our brain, right. Or mo more, but I like to just say it's 50%. And when you close, shut your eyes off, right, the, a lot of those triggers 
are not triggering certain like chaos frequencies. It's just now your body can like take a breath, take a deep breath, right? Like even though you might, even if you don't focus on it, when you close your eyes, you can literally see people's respiration change. You can literally see their heart rate change, their heart rate variability. You can, you can have the most advanced sensors and just put them on people and just let people close their eyes for someone who's in that chaotic state and you will literally see physiological changes, right? So that's the Western side of it. Um, and that's a really great place to start because they start to realize like what giving themselves a little bit of time can do. And then you can start to say like, okay, now you're ready for like two minute meditation, right? Just listen to this music. Don't listen to a guided meditation, right? So you start to, again, I can recommend the path forward for someone, but when you're actually, you know, looking at them in their baseline and where they're at and you took that time to listen, now your process to help them is, is going to be more successful. Um, you know, and, and, and that's sort of what you also see from like the best advisors. So when I go back to like the career advisors, the entrepreneur advisors, right. They, the ones that are like very pushy and are like, you need to do this, you need to do that. Right. They don't take time to like, listen to you. Um, immediately you inside start to get defensive. You know, oh, they need to tell you, oh, you need to do retail. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. Oh, you're not doing that, right? Like it becomes this like too much, but the best advisors are the ones that, you know, want to listen first and then they can like craft their experience. Um, and then when they see that value, they want to come back. They want to continue being an advisor. Uh, I've burned bridges with advisors that where I didn't take that approach, right? Where, you know, I, you know, didn't take time to listen to them. They didn't take time to listen to me. And it was just this battle of who's right. And then it becomes things like experience. Well, that proves that this person's right. Or, you know, all this stuff. And it becomes uh, too difficult to actually come to you know any sort of resolution. So, uh, you know, for people out there who aren't, never thought they could be good at meditating. Like I said, I never, I was never good at that. I'm like a typical, like, you know, alpha sort of personality, brains always going, always thinking, but, you know, all over the place, you know, I've got so many stresses in my life. So I thought that I'd never be able to meditate. And now that I've done, you know, now that I've, I sort of set myself up for success because I took a, uh, you know, a slower approach to it and realized that like closing my eyes can be beneficial. Then I started to fall in love with meditation. Right. Um, so just start there, start with something that's really simple, close your eyes, one day a week, close your eyes uh, before you eat. <laughs> Everyone takes a lunch break. Just like close your eyes and just relax so that your body doesn't have to be thinking about the work you have to do in the next 30 minutes or an hour. And then when you now eat, now you're more intentionally eating. Like it's small stuff like that. That's awesome that you started health coaching. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting. I, I'm, I'm going to you know take on some clients. Um, just because I want that personal relationship. Uh, it's not my main thing. And I'm actually using the principles for it for my business. Um, so one of our things we're doing for our business is sort of beverage fluid tracking and consumption. And what we realize is like, we can't, every like smart health tracker out there, your Fitbit or a ring, which is a sleep ring, like they give it to you and they basically like tap into people's immediate gratification. They're like, go to sleep. You go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, you have a score of 72 on Aura. It's 
So what do you do tonight? If I woke up this morning at a 72 and I say, oh man, my deep sleep's not that great. I go to bed early. I bias my behavior towards unsustainable things. It's, it's never rooted in a behavior. It's never rooted in the habit I'm going to have. Now all of a sudden I'm biasing my own behavior towards the data. And then when Aura looks at the first week, they're like, look at, you're doing well. You're trending upward, right? <laughs> look at, you're like going to sleep better. You're, you know, all of these sort of things. You're doing all these different things. Um, in reality, now you can't even recommend like small, quick rinse for people because you don't have a good baseline. And then two weeks later, they go back to their old habits. They go to bed late. They, you know, have, you know, the, they, they, you know, have screen time at night with blue light exposure and messes up their circadian rhythm. And they didn't realize that like those are the things that were affecting them because they never decided to take the time to listen to their behavior. And they just started immediately gratifying them with here's the data. So we're taking a different approach. We're saying, Hey, we want to understand that baseline before we recommend anything. I don't want to be this, you know, this platform that is just, it's sort of, it could be a fad, right? It could be one of those things where like it's the 10,000 steps, which is completely made up. And, you know, then Fitbit does really well. And then they kind of stop succeeding because now there's a lot of competitors in the space. Um, I want it to be something that's actually useful for people like now and in the future. And so you need to take a We need to take a different approach to saying, how do we take the principle of health coaching in order for this for this business? Wow. So you maintaining the data in, you know, not exposing your client to that. And then after you have a very broad and you know solid understanding of the data patterns and not letting them alter their habits to you know create this nonsensical pattern yeah yeah so like and again this is very human so like i would think about it as like imagine you know <laughs> i followed you around every day Trish, right and i like track everything right i see what you drink i see what you eat i see the steps you have right like i track it all and I do that for like a week, but I don't give you any like up changes and et cetera. And imagine it didn't bias you because obviously if I just followed around every day, you'd be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing this good thing, right? Like, but imagine <laughs> yeah. I'm a ghost, right? And you don't know that I'm following you around. Like as a human, I would then recommend certain things that are different. I would recommend the just close your eyes, right? Like versus, hey, do this 15 minute meditation, right? Um, because now I see uh, what you're doing, what you're capable of doing, what's going to be the biggest, like the quick win for you. Something that's very actionable. That's very sustainable, right? Like this is something that's going to be like you can implement, right? For, for a long time or for forever, right? Um, that's the approach I'm taking, which is understand that baseline. So then you can recommend the most, almost like the lowest hanging fruit, so to say, um, of, of a, you know, behavior change or even just an insight, right? It might be a, uh, like an example I usually tell a lot of different people is your body can only consume like 20, maybe 25 ounces an hour. Uh, and so when people chug, a lot of people don't drink a lot of beverages from one to 5 PM because the reality is, especially desk workers, they get done with lunch, right? They may, uh, you know, uh, basically like need to get back to work, right? I've got four hours to like finish my day because I need to get home. I need to cook dinner. I need to take care of my kids, right? Whatever it is. And so they just stop paying attention to their beverage routine, right? And what they're drinking. And 
and they just want to get done with the day. And then when they get dinner and when they do after dinner, they're like realizing they want to drink more or they drink alcohol or whatever. So they have a dehydration problem at the end of the day and uh, they start chugging, right? Like they chug water, they have their 32 ounce, you know, hydro flask or whatever, and they just end up chugging it. And so when you're doing that, your body, you know, it's almost tricking you, right? The, the whole like, oh, if your pee's really yellow, then you're dehydrated. Well, if your pee's really clear, doesn't necessarily mean you're, de you're dehydrated or you're, you're hydrated, excuse me. Um, you might chug, you know, 30 ounces, right? Really quickly. Well, it happens again to geek out a little bit, like your body to go to your digestive system. Now it's trying to get it into your bloodstream. Your bloodstream's not getting diluted at a faster rate than your body can actually go and put it to the rest of the cells, right? So it goes to your blood. Now your blood, your, your, your body's like, I need to maintain blood pressure. How do I maintain blood pressure? I maintain water amount and um, uh, electrolytes, right? Sodium, et cetera. And so when your kidneys get that now diluted water, it says, get rid of some, right? So because you've influxed too much, goes to your kidneys, it fills up your bladder and now your bladder is full. So 30 minutes after you chug, you go pee, you pee clear. You think you're hydrated. No, your body was actually freaking out that it had too much water at all at once. And so, you know, these are the kind of things where if in the data, if I followed you around, so to speak, and I saw in your data patterns that you're like having a lot of different drinks back to back and you're likely chugging, you probably don't know the fact that your body can only consume 20 ounces. And the simple, simple routine is just, hey, try to drink more frequently, try to, you know, only drink half of the 32 ounce, whatever, we'll put it in context. Um, and so that becomes very relevant. But for someone like me, I already know that or someone who's a big health and wellness in person, they might be already, you know, drinking more consistently throughout the day. So they don't have this problem. So in that sense, they wouldn't, you know, be shown that like qualitative, you know, data point. So um, that's how we're sort of, you know, again, personalizing it to everyone. Wow, that one to five. Uh, that's real for me, too. It's like after yeah. lunch, I just stopped drinking. It's <laughs> I stopped thinking about it. It's just like, you know, work days ending. I'm just kind of in a fray at that point. Yep. So, so I would recommend, and we'll do this. Like I would just set an alarm, right? This is, you don't need an app. You don't need anything. Right. Cause I, again, if I understood you put an alarm for 2 PM every single day. Okay. You know, do it where it's not annoying. And it's just your get up and get water, get up and refill. I don't care what's in your mug. I don't care what's in your reusable bottle. If it's all the way full, just get into the habit. We're at two, you get an alarm. You immediately just go and fill that. And then you just go to drink it from two to three. Now you've drinking your you know 20 ounces, let's say your body will be able to handle two hours of not drinking it right till like five. But now the fact that you've just re no matter what you've introduced that amount of liquid going through, you know, at two, you're going to feel way better from one to five. I can pretty much guarantee it. And that's yes. a simple thing. It's a freaking alarm. It's not one of those like, you know, apps that just like, uh, hey, every two hours it reminds you for water. Like that doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't know any context. But if I saw that three out of five days, your baseline is you really don't, you know, have drink water from those periods of time. Like that's where your dehydration problem is. That's where you start to, you know, 
want to feel like you get coffee. You start to get, you know, fatigued, right? Like you aren't energized enough to like do really good work from like yes. three to five, right? Like literally that alarm will change. Your, you, you will stop after like two weeks. You won't even have to have that alarm. You're just going to have a habit of no matter where I'm at, I'm going to go refill it. And it's going to be probably around like you get done with lunch at one, you work for an hour. Okay, now you've worked an hour. You want to take a break. You want to get up, which is good. You go get that drink. You come back down. You drink it slowly, right? Like now that's your routine versus, you know, actually caring about like all the different elements of your hydration. Like that might be your number one dehydration problem. And I don't want to be giving you all these facts and data and force you to track things every day just for me to be able to be like, that's Carusha's number one problem that they can do. So you can do this with any health hack. I mean, seriously, you could basically like, and again, I'm trying to figure out an entrepreneur startup way to do it for almost every health area. But understanding baseline is so valuable. Very valuable because someone, you know, a client's potential for one could be completely out of touch with someone with another client's potential for their eating habits, their exercise habits. I mean, that's obvious, but like, you know, to change someone's eating habits, that takes time. Yeah. And in calorie counters, don't do it because one, one calories are made up. They're completely made up thing. It doesn't, there's not one to one you know, ratio, it's, it's completely made up. What, do, um, what is just, your, it's just on calories. So I, I don't use calories. I'm more nutrient focused, right? Like that, you know, one thing that people can do is reduce their, um, processed oils, which are omega sixes, which are inflammatory, which our bodies accumulate the, the membranes in our cells are made up of omega sixes and omega sixes, just like omega threes, are polyunsaturated. Again, I, it took me actually, even though I learned chemistry, it, I learned it in, bi in bioengineering, like, oh, the difference between there, like, all you have to think about is like polyunsaturated is like easily be like oxidized, which basically means like rust. Think of rust as an oxidation process, which isn't good, right? And so omega-6s are very fragile, same like fish oils. Um, so you want to get the right fish oil if you do omega-3. So those are the kind of the main ones. Um, but yeah, so when you have oxidized uh, omega-6s, which are like the corn oil, the soy oil, all the seed oils, the vegetable oils and seed oils, which a lot of our food is made out of, right? When you eat a huge diet of that, it's now incorporating into your cells. When you oxidize the cell, it actually prevents it from doing its typical processes like... Um, you know, duplicating itself, right? Um, you know, all the all those sorts of things, uh, especially for fat cells, right? Like now you can only get, you know, increase the amount of fat within a cell versus it decides to divide. Um, and so like, again, you know all of this, but instead of saying like, hey, you know, go to this diet, go to that diet. Like if you just looked at what people consumed and you saw that like, wow, this person has a huge, seed oil, vegetable oil, because they eat out at these kind of restaurants, they, you know, cook with it, they whatever it is. Um, then you can one recommend like getting in a, a test, which is super cheap, you know, your omega three and omega six, you'll see that like most Americans are like 10 to one ratio, which is bad it means you have a ton of, you know, oxidizable omega sixes. 
and your body keeps it, right? So you have like seven years worth of storage of it. And that disrupts a ton of different processes. So again, if you just saw your food and you realize like Karush, all he needs to do is just mint, reduce, just reduce, just try to avoid this, this, this versus, oh, hey, you have to be eating bell peppers. You have to be eating all these things. Like it's not gonna, or, or hey, count calories. Well, if you count calories, you're not actually potentially getting rid of the problem. You're getting a hundred calorie thing that has a whole bunch of omega sixes. So now you just replace something that might be more calories that might have more nutrients, less omega six with something that is. And so that's why I like calorie counting are stupid because, um, you know, it's, I mean, they, it sort of, it can work, right? Like every diet works for like six weeks. But the reason why it works is because you actually basically reduce the amount of like stress you put on your body and your gut. And so that's the re most reason why people like lose weight, et cetera. But then they plateau about after six weeks on every diet, you know? Um, and, uh, and so that's why it's like, get context, get baseline about what people are doing, what they're exposing themselves to in their food, what they're la lacking. Maybe you're lacking key you know, nutrients. Um, and that's the reason why you're getting some symptoms. Uh, but the end result should not be, Hey, do change this diet, you know, change these things. It should be something really small. It should be like high exposure to vegetable oils, reduce it by X, Y, and Z, be paying more attention to it. Do that for three, four weeks. Your body will, now you gave your body half a chance to heal itself and it will heal maybe a certain part of it, but you'll feel the difference. And maybe then that motivates you to do a whole diet change, right? Maybe Mediterranean diet is the diet that you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to gravitate towards that or a keto diet or et cetera. But the reality is, is like the reason why most people don't succeed is because all of these solutions, all these startups or, you know, whether it's digital or it's like a meal kit or any of those sort of things, they kind of say like, we're, we're the end all be all like, we're really good. And here's why. And again, those type of entrepreneurs, they didn't de-risk it for themselves. Like, they didn't actually say like, what are certain things that I can do to de-risk it? It might've been read these three books. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can probably, so I can go to each company in this space that's trying to actually help people. And I can be like, for you, I have about 80, 90 books that I've read in the last uh, year and a half. Nice. Um, so I could point people to, you know, which books they should read if I just knew what, what they were lacking. Again, I understand their baseline. And I kid you not, then it would de they would go and learn that, de-risk it, and like their business would change, their their own life would change. Um, and and the only way I can actually recommend those books if I got that baseline, I I, I could probably publish a list. Your people will be like, here's you know, here's here it is. But the real value is when I actually understand what they need to do to de-risk whatever they're doing, whether it's a job or a company, uh, for themselves, not for some external party. Right. And then instead of giving them that 90 book list and they're just like, okay, yeah. where do I start? You can give them, you know, three books and it's like, okay, this is much more digestible. They're going to get what they really need right away. Yep. And that it's going to give them quick, you know, as quick of results as possible that actually, you know, there's some radical things you can do that don't work very well. And they, they, give you know quick results that are unsustainable yep but i mean 
you know, hopefully the client can recognize, you know, they want foundational, strong, sustainable habits that they can maintain even if they don't have a health coach. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I see the most valuable the health coach is becoming making that person a smarter patient for themselves. That's it. They don't have to be an expert, right? They could just be someone there that's listening. It could be great if you have someone who's much more knowledgeable and is able to point you in the right direction. But in reality, the end goal is making them a smarter patient. And the reality is the healthcare system and the way we do health, it's not geared towards making people smart for themselves. No, and then you, what you do is you listen to an authority. You listen to a doctor who, quite frankly, it's an apprenticeship, right? They, they, they do what they were taught because it's stressful and there's a lot of knowledge. And I really respect, you know, the, the degree and the curriculum that doctors have. But I think that, you know, it's, you know, molded in a certain way that makes it so that it's like the patient can't can become smarter, right? Especially for things like diet and lifestyle related, right? More daily health things. Um, they, they're not even experts in it. They don't get enough training in nutrition to actually be a nutrition expert. They get 19 hours of training. Think about that. And all their training at 19 hours. And the reality is most doctors aren't even healthy themselves. Um, and, 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 but again, it's like, it's becoming a smarter patient and then utilizing to the full extent, the amazing healthcare system we have. Um, and, and that's what health coaches, I think that's their primary goal. And the way they make people smart patients is not knowledge dump. It's not, I know all these things, go do this thing. It's what can, what can I present in front of you? What can I listen in from you that helps you make those little small changes um, versus doing something that's radical, that's unsustainable? Um, and I think that's, that's what excited, excited me and the reason why I went into health coaching and you know, for anyone, any of you who are listening that are interested in health, I'm happy to happy to chat, you know, to, to kind of give you any perspective on the industry, any perspective on um, even just if they're if they're trying to help, you know, a certain part part of their health. Right. Like better sleep, better activity, um, better recovery, better productivity, whatever it might be. Um, happy to, you know, to to help in any way. But I think the way I root it is always find the quick win, find the quick win for people, um, find something that's actionable, that's sustainable. Uh, and that allows that, it allows that little thing to be like a catalyst. That's a, a powerful word for me for two reasons. One, enzymes, you know, bioengineering a catalyst, but two, yeah. it's like people are just like, most people are not even really getting started on their health journey for their health span, which is better daily health not lifespan. Um, and so you need something in their life. Like it's not going to be, go to listen to this podcast. You hear about all these complex things. You want to integrate it. You go get red light therapy because, oh yeah, I feel like that's great. And they talk about it in such a powerful way. Like, okay, that didn't really help you like motivate you to start the rest of your journey. Uh, and, and so that's where like, meditation might be the way you start it, but the way you start it is not through meditating in the beginning necessarily. It might be closing your eyes. So it's, it's always finding that, that path, the lowest, you know, hanging fruit that kind of gets you there to be, become a catalyst for the rest of your, your health and wellness. And I think it's a valuable thing for entrepreneurs, which is why I love helping entrepreneurs and also coaching them through their own health and how 
you know, they're leading to crazy burnout because they're trying to change the world. They're trying to make an impact, but uh, they're oftentimes the most uh, um, detrimental to themselves. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? that's that's true. And, you know, not much can phase entrepreneurs except themselves. Yeah. Like, again, let me give you an example that you might have actually done for yourself. So you're doing this podcast. Uh, your end goal is to right is to like get talk, have people talk about interesting things that matter to them, that are passionate to them and help people potentially learn. And instead of you going out there and making a list, right? So I say, hey, go do research. So you make it out there a list of like high profile people. You realize, look at I've met so many interesting people already. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to spend a weekend going through literally my LinkedIn, going through my Facebook, going through my Instagram, and just seeing what people where they're at, you know, my, my friends that I know, and then just reach out to them. So when you reached out to me, like, of course, I'm, you know, super happy to jump on this podcast and, you know, help help in any way I can. And so that feels very rewarding because you're like, wow, look at the number of people I've met, you know, like look at the, the, you know, how many people I can bring on the podcast. Like your life just got way easier. <laughs> yeah. And you does. finally started to realize your vision of, I want to start a podcast. Right. So yes. it's you break it down into, I, I hate the like little small steps rule and smart goals and things like that. Like just recognize that, there's a smaller perspective, not a smaller step, because a step means like a task. There's a smaller perspective of something you can do that will get you started in like a really great way. It'll have the, that thing will be the biggest return on investment that you make. Absolutely. Because I think when we have these visions, these, you know, ideas for our life, we, our perspective is so wide. We see the end goal. We don't know how to take that first step. And I think, you know, as far as health coaching, and even if you're an entrepreneur for, you know, your advisors, it's that first step might not be clear. And that's, I, you know, you really like as an entrepreneur or as a person who's interested in health that has attempted both. It's, you know, you can have this really, you know, great force or this great passion to succeed but it is going to be in my opinion much easier if you have a coach mm -hmm. if you have an advisor if you're being accountable to someone other than yourself and if you have someone to speak to and to get some you know like you said as much as we know you know when that forceful advisor or that forceful coach is right like you know like he's being an asshole but he's completely right it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm shut down. I know he's right. I know I should make all the changes he's talking about. But just that whole, I don't know what it is. We as humans, we can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. Yep. So, we so let me give down. another perspective again. So like if, if you're like, I don't know who would be a good advisor, right? Like I don't know how to do like good research, right? Um, you know, and do that on the weekend, right? Again, you can figure out what can you do to reduce it. So like, you know, if you're doing the weekend, you're like, I want to put together a list of podcast guests I'd love to have, you know, and categorize them by like, 
priority and categorize them by like opportunity to get them. Right. And so now it's like for five years, you created that list and you just keep working on it. And like, you feel good about it. You're like, Whoa, like I didn't know I was like connected to, you know, I, there's some people connected to my sphere. Maybe they don't know that person, but like, I feel like I'm right there. Um, again, even if you didn't do that, then you can reduce it to the, what friends, you know, do I know, you know, who have they interacted? I can reach out to them and say, you know, I'm, Hey, I'm on this podcast. Like, here are the different types of profile of guests I'm looking for. Do you know anyone that would be really great? Like they likely do. So you can reduce it that way. Um, but the, uh, the, the advisor mentor thing, right. That still feels daunting. So you say, okay, that feels daunting for some people. What's going to be the way to have a smaller perspective. That's going to be way, way more achievable. Don't look at advisors and mentors as people that you have to have a personal relationship with. So I count a lot of the podcast guests or hosts as practical advisors to me. I do, right? Like I have so many people in the health and wellness space, so many people in the personal transformation space that I view as advisors. And so what I've actually done, right, is like basically made it a priority, just like you make a priority to talk to your advisors or mentors to weekly listen to those people, find the podcast that matters, right? Um, and, and, and honestly, it feels like they're practically speaking to me, meaning like they're talking to someone else, but like, I have this now as framework of like, wow, that's a really valuable lesson that I can now take. And, and so just start there, right? If, if you want to like, look at building your mentors and advisor is, you know, make a whole bunch of podcasts you like that you're not going to prioritize and listen to every single time you're driving in your car. If you have a 30 minute commute. Or for me, I go on daily walks because I'm prioritizing sort of that activity versus like a lot of triathlon training that I'm, I'm, I've been doing. Um, and, and so now, like, I feel much better because I feel like I'm getting that learning. I'm getting that sort of relationship, even though it's not a physical one or a, um, a personal one, right, that I have with those people. And then the hack, if you eventually start to listen to enough of these podcasts. Now you've got like four podcasts where you could be like, I'm going to write an email. And I've done this a couple of times. I'm going to write an email where I'm like, Hey, I actually count you as like a personal, like a advisor, you know, just from like listening to these four podcasts, like here's the advice I got from you. I just want to thank you. <laughs> just that's it. <laughs> When's the last time that podcast host or whatever has gotten just a thank you list and like, been like, you don't know me. You don't know that I've gotten a ton of value as an advisor from you for, you know, the last three months. But I just want to thank you for it. They're probably going to respond. And again, maybe the end goal is you want to talk to them. Maybe you put in a little snippet there. Or the end goal is just make myself notice. So if I do reach out later, right, there's some context, right? It's coming from, you know, gratitude. And, and the reality is, is like these, like, you know, everything can become, Everything that's passionate that then takes time that then can continue and take more time. Anything. Podcast start. You start the podcast. You had passion. You felt motivated. You got a couple of guests. Now it's growing. Now you've got to do all these other things. It becomes not as rewarding as initially. This is for everything, right? Product manager role, an entrepreneur, you know, a new company. And what what's helpful to like kind of bring yourself back, bring that person back is getting appreciation from other people. And when you look at a podcast and you look at like, wow, this person, look at the guests they get, look at all these things that I'm so envious or jealous about. 
and I love like I love that they're I am able to listen to it. You know, like they are stressed, right? And them getting a note like that can make their day. I mean, I've literally had someone who it was an author that I read this book. It was called the um um it was it was about creativity. I I can I can I forgot the uh the actual name. Um and I just thanked that person. And he literally said, Hey, it made my day. Like I was having a shitty day. Thank you. Nice. Like, like and, and that's like a human experience, right? Like not every day, like is going to be great. And not every month you're getting a level of appreciation. That's a surprise, right? You might get like people who are, you know, in their day to day, like, wow, this is awesome, et cetera. But like, when it's a complete surprise, like you feel a lot better for it. So again, bring it down to a smaller perspective, not a smaller step. When you make it a step, it's a da- it's a task, it's a stress. But now it's like, the question is like, would I kind of enjoy making a list of podcasts and starting listening to someone? Like I find guests that I see as advisors. And then I go and I research all the other podcasts they're on. I go and research the blog pieces they've written, whatever, right? Like I get really motivated. Like this person is an advisor to me without them knowing it. And then eventually it could turn into something where it's like, now I, when I get a mutual contact or a cold outreach, like there's value there because I did it with the intent of, um, it's coming from a tent of like empathy. So. Well, that, that makes sense. And I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Alex, awesome. This has been great, Chris. Uh, yes, it has been great. I've enjoyed it a lot. Do you have any last words for our guests? Uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me if, you know, if any of the things I talked about resonated with you, um, whether you're looking for, you know, simple health advice or um, entrepreneur or, you know, career um, to maybe get more more information. Um, I'm just gonna put my personal email. It's alexboone29 at gmail.com. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Alex. Awesome. Thanks, Grish.